a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Today we're talking about Saudi Arabia, which I call it Saudi Arabia, but of course you call it Saudi Arabia and uh, there's probably a lot of other versions, but it's an interesting country because it's very, very controversial, particularly at the moment, and yet everyone's a piece of them. Absolutely. So Saudi Arabia, as you say, is a very interesting country. So its roots go back many centuries and back to the tribe, which was around, well, broadly the area around Riyadh. If you think of Saudi Arabia, it's where uh, Islam begins and Mecca and Medina, the two holy cities. Jerusalem is the third one, which, of course, is in Israel. But you've got the two holy cities there, very much identified with Islam and a particular strand of it called the Sunni branch of Islam. And within that, there's the Wahhabi branch. So it gets even more complicated. But essentially, this is a family that arose out of the desert, linked with an extremist end of the Islamic faith, and then rebelled against the Ottoman Empire. If you think back, the Ottoman Empire ran for centuries. The Turks. The Turks. So it began in Eastern Europe, went through modern-day Turkey, down through Israel, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq. Not Iran, but certainly Iraq. And then down into Saudi and then across into North Africa. So it's a very long-running empire, longer-lasting than, say, the British Empire. So Saudi... Arabia, as we now know it, rebelled against the Ottoman rulers from time to time and often came to a very sticky end. The, the Turks were pretty ruthless at putting down rebellions. And then in World War I, Lawrence of Arabia, who had studied a lot of the um, affairs of the Arab world, not Saudi Arabia, well, which didn't exist at that time, but the, the tribes of Saudi, he was more concerned about what is today Lebanon and uh, northern Israel. So he said to the British government, look, the British are busy fighting Turkey, uh, hence Gallipoli, of course, and, and all of that. He said, I think we could have an Arab revolt. We need to be able to encourage the Arabs, who are Muslim, to kill other Muslims, namely the Ottomans, the Turks. And the British paid him to run that campaign. It was the cheapest military campaign in, in Britain's history. They gave him this box of gold and said, all right, go and do a deal. And so he did a deal with the tribal chieftains and so ran a very successful campaign. He himself said it was a sideshow of a sideshow. You know, the real fighting was on the Western Front. And then when you come to what was going on on the Eastern Front, Saudi Arabia was simply a sideshow to that other sideshow. And his campaign of mobilising Arabs for modern guerrilla warfare. He's the father of modern guerrilla warfare. That was a sideshow of a sideshow. But nonetheless, it's it's one of these things that we all remember, the David Lean movie about Lawrence of Arabia and all the rest of it. So he then said to the Arabs, if you fight the Ottomans, the Turks, Britain will give you independence. Meanwhile, you know how you can't trust the British... <laughs> They were working with the French to divide up the Ottoman Empire. So the French got part of that empire and the British got other parts of that empire, including what is today Saudi Arabia. So the the Saudi Arabia was very, obviously, very unhappy. The country is named after the founder, 
Ibn Saud, who was a charismatic and courageous leader. And he formed today's Saudi Arabia in 1932. He, prior to that time, made his money through fees that were charged to Muslims who had been going on a, a pilgrimage to the holy cities. That's how he made his money. Just, you know, a little tourist, well, not a little, an important tourist attraction. Mecca. Mecca. Mm. In terms of um, Islam, they need to do a trip to Mecca one time in their lifetime. In the, the Hajj. They've got to do the Hajj. So, uh, but it's still only a very small slice of the income that, that they could possibly earn. But the Saudi family in the late 1930s were lucky because the Americans found oil in Saudi Arabia. In fact, they found the world's largest oil field, the Gawar oil field, um, which continues to be very important. It is running down, but it continues to be important. So Saudi Arabia is slowly creeping up on the radar screen of Western countries. All of that region was important, well, partly because of the religious significance. So, you know, we had Christians and Jews competing for the Holy Land against the Muslims. So there's that sort of continuous strand for a thousand years. Then, of course, it's significant because it's the crossroads of the world. So if you want to go from Asia to Africa and you're going to go by land, you've got to go through the Middle East. And then at the beginning of the 20th century, Winston Churchill, as the young First Lord of the Admiralty, made a crucial decision. He moved the Royal Navy from coal to oil. So when you're producing a coal ship, you have to have crew working eight-hour shifts three times a day, shoveling coal into the boilers. Oh, Oh, it's a dreadful work being a stoker on board one of these ships. But Britain, of course, had coal, didn't have oil. The North Sea oil was to come along decades later. So there was quite, it was a very controversial move by Churchill to say the Royal Navy will now run on oil rather than coal. So Britain then had to find ways of getting oil. So their their first major activity is in today's Iran. And British Petroleum, as we now call it, was set up in Iran. And then later on, as people said, oh, perhaps there's more oil in this region, you had a team of Americans who found the oil in Saudi Arabia, in the desert. And they used to joke that you just simply put a straw into the sand and the oil bubbled up. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but it showed how easily the sands would yield the oil. It's not quite the same today, but nonetheless, a lot of oil in Saudi Arabia. And so the Americans are then beginning to rethink their role in the world, particularly after December 7, 1941, Pearl Harbor. The Americans are drawn into World War II. And then throughout the war, it became quite clear that Britain was going to finish the war bankrupt. It was the end of the empire. And so the Americans were manoeuvring their position to become the number one Western country. And they were also running on oil because they've got their own oil reserves. So they were one of the first countries into the oil era. Romania claims to be number one, but the Americans followed along quite later, right? Yeah, who knows where where Romania was back then. So... Um, America already had supplies of oil, but the Americans thought, look, we want to push the British out of the Middle East and we want to become the superpower in the Middle East, as they're doing elsewhere. Therefore, one of his last acts before he died, President Roosevelt sailed to meet the Saudi leader 
at what's called Lake Bitter. So that's on near the Suez Canal. So they just had the um, conference at the end of World War II, and he then sailed, top secret mission, on the ship, went down to Saudi Arabia. And this is when he was president? This is right at the end of it, because he died in 1945. God. So he laid the beginning of the American empire in the Middle East because of the oil. So when they talk about this long friendship between Saudi Arabia and America, they're not lying. Yeah, they're not lying. It's, It's spot on. And the president gave the king, who was getting old by this time, um, a wheelchair. Remember, the president had his own wheelchair, so he gave one to the king, (laughs) which impressed him no end. So we see, therefore, the American alliance with Saudi Arabia begins back in 1945, before the creation of the State of Israel, which creates other problems for the Americans, because they were on good terms with the new State of Israel in 1948, but also wanted to remain good terms with Saudi Arabia. And so we see, therefore, these uh, the United States improving its status within the Middle East and therefore forming a very good relationship with Saudi Arabia. And they've managed to somehow, all these decades later, maintain that, despite the huge amount of controversies with, the, with Israel and their movements in the Middle East and their, their wars in the area, and then Saudi Arabia, obviously, well, every single Arab country disliking Israel. Yep. And America having to be diplomatic and have those relationships with both Israel and Saudi Arabia. So dealing with that um, Israel matter, the key factor is Iran. Remember Iran or Persia standing alone, not an Arab country, it's Persian. So they stand alone. So we need to look at Iran at some point. It's a whole separate story there. So... Iran is seen as a threat to Saudi Arabia. Iran is the leader of the Shia community, right? Another branch of Islam. And Saudi Arabia is Sunni. And Sunni, that's right. So we see that religious rivalry. So in a sense, Saudi Arabia says, yes, we are talking to the Israelis, but that's because the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? So Iran is a threat to Israel because they see it's important. Well, some would say Iran is intending to have Israel destroyed. And at the same time, Iran is fighting Saudi Arabia. We see that, for example, in Syria, right? So the Syrian government, the Assad regime, is supported by Iran, because the Assad regime is essentially Shia. It's an Alawite community, but it's it's Shia. So Iran is supporting Assad, and Israel and Saudi Arabia are supporting the rebels, many of whom have a Sunni background. So the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so that's how Saudi Arabia can explain why it's on reasonable terms with Israel, right? They don't openly flaunt that friendship, but nonetheless, we all know that they have good connections. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Today we're talking Saudi Arabia. It's a fascinating country, uh, very backward in many, many ways in relation to the way the West operates and they operate. It's like they're 500 years behind us, Keith, in many ways. Um, But for some reason, all the Western countries want to be their friend and it it, it does stem originally from oil, but now it seems they're diversified into weapons, Keith. Yeah. Um, So talk to me about right now uh, the status of Saudi Arabia 
the relationships with countries like America at the moment and Australia and uh, and the fact that the oil is drying up so they had to look elsewhere for other means of, of revenue. Well, Saudi Arabia is saying because we're worried about the future of oil, which is also very cheap at the moment, partly because of the fracking revolution in the United States. Remember, the United States used to be a major exporter of oil. Then it had decades of being the major importer of oil. Now it's back to being an exporter because of this so-called fracking revolution, uh, whereby they're able to get the energy out of the ground. So that's helped to depress the price of oil on the international market. So Saudi Arabia is running out of oil, and what they do have is at a lower cost. So Saudi Arabia uh, is saying we need to acquire nuclear energy, which is, the remember, this is where we came in with Iran in 1972-73 when they were trying to buy Australia's uranium because they said, well, our oil might run out at some point, therefore we need to have civilian nuclear power. The Australians, by the way, did not sell the uranium to Iran because um, the argument at the time was that the price of uranium was too cheap. We'll keep it in the ground. We'll wait for a decrease in, in price. Thankfully, in 1979, the Ayatollah takes over. So we would have found ourselves providing nuclear power to the Ayatollah. So thankfully, because of FX Connor, who was our minister for minerals, we stopped that sale. Otherwise, we'd be in the embarrassing situation of helping Iran acquiring nuclear energy. Now, the interest is on Saudi Arabia acquiring nuclear energy. Their argument is they need the nuclear energy because of the problems with the oil. And eventually that resource is going to work out. They've got to somehow redesign the economy. Let me just comment on the fact you, you say it's very backward and it's 500 years behind the times. Well, I was slightly exaggerating. Slightly but you know what I mean. I mean, socially, I mean, women can't, have only just been allowed to drive, Kate. That's the yeah. kind of stuff I'm talking well, about. Well, that's because of the Wahhabi strand of Sunni, right? So we go back right to that alliance between the Saud family and the Wahhabi strand of Islam. So we go back two, three hundred years, right? So there was a close connection between the warrior tribe and uh, this strand of Islamic thinking. Very, very strict indeed. So they, for example, they disapprove of television. They disapprove of music, right? So there's been an uphill battle to get music permitted into Saudi Arabia or television, which they now have. And as you've pointed out, only recently have women been allowed to drive. Um, that's a very slow development. And they still cut off hands in the public oh, yeah. square well, because and behead a, people? Yeah, it's in accordance with traditional Islamic thinking, as the Wahhabis interpret the Quran. That's the problem. The Wahhabis would say, you're decadent, your civilization is dying, we, the Wahhabi strand of Islam, will live long enough to outlive all you guys. You're falling around because of all of these culture wars, the, the way that women dress around, walk around half naked. Don't look at me when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not, your arms are bare. That's true. That's, That's true. true. Singlet, yeah. You got, you're wearing a singlet, not allowed in Saudi oh Arabia. Oh, God, no. I'd get no. put in jail for That's this. That's exactly it. And they would say um, you've got the sex is too easily available, the alcohol is obviously too easily available. And so you represent a decaying civilization, right? Now, the Chinese privately say the same thing, but they don't, you know, they do permit women to move around more easily, drive cars, etc. But they also look at the West, the weird world, 
this Western, uh, educated, industrialised, rich democracies. And they all reckon, ah, oh, they're on the way out. You've had 500 years, but you're finished, right? So, you know, you're criticising Saudi Arabia. I didn't criticise, I made a comment. You made a comment. But I'm just saying that from a Saudi point of view, if you were a Wahhabi, they would say, well, for a start, what are you doing outside the house? You're not allowed outside, let alone questioning the views of a, of a male commentator. So th- this is the, the civilization which they have developed and they have got people who support their point of view. Osama bin Laden is one of their most famous people. When bin Laden had been fighting in Africa, he then returned to Saudi Arabia and was horrified to see as a result of the Gulf War back in the early 90s that the Americans were deploying forces in the Holy Land of Saudi Arabia. And that's what really agitated him. So he came from that same very Puritan Wahhabi streak. And it's those people who are willing to die for their cause. Mm. So what about the deals at the moment? I mean, on the nose, we looked at Saudi Arabia last year, Khashoggi, the very famous case where the, the journalist only, what, four or five months ago was killed by Saudi Arabians inside their embassy in Turkey. The world was disgusted. Everyone was disgusted by it. And it's been proved on many fronts that this actually occurred, but we just don't know who did it. Specifically, we assume it was the prince who runs the country. That did damage relationships, but then not to the extent that it has stopped any deals going on, Keith, with America or Australia. No, the situation really is that the United States looks to Saudi Arabia as a rich country that needs to buy American weapons. Um, And their argument is that we need to arm Saudi against Iran. Iran is the major problem, right? Much bigger population, three times, almost four times the number of people in Iran as in Saudi Arabia. And Iran is seen as one of the exporters of terrorism. Remember that old phrase about the axis of evil, Iraq, Iran and North Korea. North Korea, they're trying to improve relations with. And the case of Iraq, they invaded and got rid of Saddam Hussein. So Iran is still left standing. And so the Americans would argue we need to arm Saudi Arabia against Iran. And Saudi Arabia is giving assurances that the weapons won't be used against Israel because they're working with Israel to keep an eye on Iran. So that, that's why the Americans are doing it. And also, of course, we've now been revealed that Australians are also getting into that same business of trying to sell weapons there because it's such a, a rich country. Oh, so they're buying our weapons. Why do I think that they're, we're buying their weapons? No, 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 no. They're buying our weapons. Oh. They're buying American weapons. They're buying the British weapons. You know, a, a colleague of mine in England sold a lot of these Middle Eastern Kingdom British tanks, which work very well in the wet conditions in Europe, but are a total disaster in the desert because of the sand getting into all the all the mechanical bits. But these Arab countries and Iran bought up big. So when the war, which Iraq started against Iran, began um, following the Iranian revolution, Iran had more tanks than the British army had, but they didn't work in the desert. <laughs> They'd bought all the stuff but hadn't thought through <laughs> oh God. what are the implications <laughs> of tanks that are designed to fight in northern Europe with all that wet, soggy ground. It, you know, th- so they've got more money than sense. Mm. And it's Saudi Arabia as well, still a rich country, and will they stay that way, Keith? Well, for the foreseeable future, absolutely. And that's the challenge for MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, 
So he is the crown prince. Now, because the other thing I've got to say is that is Saudi Arabia, named after Saud, so it's the only country in the world that's got a country that's taken from a ruling house, right? So all of the people who've run that country all come from the one person, so Ibn Saud, this this courageous and charismatic leader around the time of World War One. So, there, but there's no clear line of succession. So the ruling elite consists of about 50,000 people. There's some doubt as to how many are in that because some men don't know how many children they've got. <laughs> Bin Laden is one of 54, <laughs> remember? Oh, seriously. Yeah. So I c- Not from the same woman, of course. You know, <laughs> they have a variety of wives and they produce a variety of children. So you've got this um, ruling elite, no democracy, very different from Iran, no democracy, run by this one family. And so there's always this jostling for power. And at the moment, it's MBS who thinks he's going to get the top job when the current king dies. So you can expect instability with Saudi Arabia. And we suspect he's a bit dodged. We, everyone suspects he was behind the Khashoggi exactly. murder. Yep. Interesting. We'll have to revisit this topic again, Keith. Absolutely. This has been Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.